This is Purple Elephant, where I bring the proverbial elephant to the table in order to deconstruct ableism, prejudice and misconceptions. On today's episode, we have three world-renowned travel content creators, Eric, Omo and Rubens. Between the three of them, they've travelled to every country and have been travelling for over 20 years. I think you're going to love this episode, and especially with the movement that's been happening with the Black Lives Matter, I think this is a really, really important episode for you all to listen to. Uh, like I said previously, I'm originally Nigerian, um, still Nigerian. You can change that? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I like, to, I like to introduce myself as Nigerian British these days, not British Nigerian. So, welcome gentlemen to Purple Elephant. It's absolutely wonderful to have you all on. Please may you introduce yourselves to the audience. And who wants to go first? <laughs> uh, I'll go first. Okay. So I'm Rubens, I'm from Paris, France. Uh, I'm a travel blogger. I blog about what it's like to travel the world as a black person. So yeah, I spent a year on the road like three years ago. And uh, now I'm back home in Paris. I'm still traveling here and there every now and then. Not really possible right now with COVID-19. And uh, yeah, I'm also a freelance writer. I'm also a freelance translator. And uh, as I said to Omo a few weeks ago, I wrote a book, a self-published book about what it's like to travel as a black person and it should be out in September. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to reading this. Thank you. All right. I'll go next. Uh, so my name is Omo Osagede. I am a content creator, one half of a platform called Hey, Dip Your Toes In. Uh, my other half is Yolanda. Uh, we are based in South London, and we primarily write about what well, our, our style has evolved we began writing about food and then we sort of moved into the travel space, talking about different food cultures in different destinations. Um, and, but more recently, we've begun to do a lot more lifestyle content, um, speaking out on issues and topics that are close to our hearts. Um, and obviously not being able to travel over the last few months, we are um, evolving our platform to um, try new things, um, creating co courses uh, and trying to do some consultancy as well. So that's that's me. Fantastic. Thank you. All right. And uh, last but not least, of course, uh, <laughs> I'm Eric Prince, founder of MinorityNomad.com and Enclavus Media. I'm a full-time travel journalist and uh, digital marketer. Uh, I'm currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. I've been living here for about five years when I'm not on the road which is about six, seven months of the year. I'm traveling around the world, uh, creating content, uh, food, and uh, mainly uh, culture content uh, and photography, mainly photography. What have been your experiences traveling the world as a black man? You know, uh, over, overly positive. Uh, it was interesting that uh, we were doing this podcast today because I just posted on Instagram, I'm not Instagram, uh, on my personal Facebook, about a situation I had um, over the past week with a well-known publication. Uh, basically, they reached out to me to do an interview about uh, my experience with racism uh, around the world and traveling as a black man. And I, I, I told her, like, I don't, I have maybe two experiences. 
in over 10 years of traveling the world that I would consider racist. And one of them could could really go both ways. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, it, it's difficult for me uh, because I, I constantly hear the, the, the stories, you know, as a black man traveling the world, I hear stories from other black travelers about racism. And, you know, I feel, you know, a little awkward sometimes because I just don't have those kind of experiences or at least the perspective that I have on things that happen to me, they don't go directly to it being a racist, if that makes sense. So um, overwhelmingly, my experience has been positive. Um, usually being a man of color, I'm one of the first black people that a lot of people have met because I do a lot of traveling in Eastern Europe, a lot of traveling throughout Asia where um, the history of migration of African peoples isn't that big and there was no history of slavery. So it gives me an opportunity to interact with these communities because they're, they're genuinely curious. Um, and, and that's the big, biggest thing I can say about my experience traveling as a black man is that people tend to be curious. Now, how that curiosity is represented, now that can be another conversation. You know, from people touching you without permission to take your photos to inviting you to marry their daughters. Like, it's, it's a very wide range of experiences. So, uh, you know, honestly, you know, um, the TLDR, I'd say 99.9%, it's been an overwhelmingly posit- positive experience um, and something I wish more young brothers had the opportunity to experience. Thank you. Yeah, I would um, I would echo Eric's uh, assessment that overall, if you know, just weighing all my travel experiences uh, together, they've been overwhelmingly positive. Um, you know, whether it's in Sri Lanka, whether it's in Mexico, whether it's somewhere in, in, in Europe, for the most part, um, there have been no incidents that have made me feel like uh, I have been a target. However, having said that, there have been a few experiences that have reminded me that I am different um, and not necessarily the norm in certain places. I've also had experiences traveling on two different passports. So I am Nigerian by birth uh, and I carry a Nigerian passport. I moved to the UK on a Nigerian passport and had to work my way through the immigration system to become a naturalized British citizen. So before I got my British passport, I did travel as a Nigerian uh, on a Nigerian passport and and faced a whole different set of um, attitudes towards people who carry passports from my part of the world. Um, Obviously traveling with a British passport, that gave me certain privileges um, to enter certain countries without the extra scrutiny. So I, don't, I wouldn't say that's maybe a, a black thing. It's probably more of a, a regional stereotype that's been put on passports from that part of the world. Mm. But there's also another view that I have. Now, as Yolanda and I have gone on this journey of, of content creation and working as, as, as travel creators, um, we've traveled together as a couple, but we've also had to travel separately to be able to cover the work that we get. Um, I noticed that when we travel together, there is a certain set of attitudes that we face. You know, people expect, people, th- I think it's the, it's the stereotype of a couple is, is okay, is normal, is safe. 
But traveling on my own as a black man, usually with a group of white journalists, I, I see the difference. Um, you know, my, my cover, my Yolanda cover is missing. Um, and people then see me as a black man and whatever stereotypes they have about black males then comes out. So I have had a very a range of varying experiences over the years traveling on two different passports and traveling as a, either as a solo traveler or as a couple. All right. Um, overall, uh, the experience is positive traveling as a black person. Uh, yeah, I would say mostly positive. You know, you get invited to, to weddings, to restaurants, to clubs sometimes in some areas of the world. Uh, one woman one day asked me, you know, my daughter is still single. She's looking for someone. <laughs> <laughs> Would you marry her? Yeah, it happened in uh, Kyrgyzstan like uh, three years ago. So mostly positive. Uh, and people are curious, as, as said uh, Eric, you know, they ask for pictures, but it's asking in a friendly way, you know. So they're like, okay, uh, it's nice to see a black person here. Uh, usually we see you guys in, on TV or on the internet in the, in the music videos. It's really nice for you to come here. Can I get a picture with you? So, you know, I just comply. I'm like, okay, no problem, you know? And uh, they realize we are, we, are, we are the same, basically. We have a different skin color, but uh, like deep inside, we're all the same. So yeah, mostly the, the experience is positive. Although there are a few things where I'm like, ah, oh, is it because of my black skin? For instance, uh, to go through immigration when you get to the airport, usually it lasts longer than my fellow white friends because uh, sometimes the customs officer or the immigration officers assume I'm, I'm not French because I'm black. So they're like, uh, you're French? I say, yeah, I'm French. Are you really French? Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah, I'm really French. Uh, okay, what does bonjour mean? I'm like, oh, for Christ's sake. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, stuff like that, it, it gets tiring at some point. But uh, overall, the experience is positive. Are there any specific things that you take into consideration before traveling? And for example, like the political landscape and how you may be perceived if you travel to that country or region? The answer is no. Um, well, no, I shouldn't say that. We have at certain times had discussions. When I say we, Yolanda and I have had discussions about whether or not we would be open to traveling to certain countries or certain regions based on geopolitical events um, or based on um, the situation, the human rights situations in, in those places. Um, without naming countries, you know, there, there have been cases where um, countries that we have wanted to visit have had um, unfortunate terror incidents or they've had um, a change in government uh, and the political situation is, is a bit um, all over the place, unstable, or uh, countries that have had um, recent very, very topical examples of um, human rights violations. We have actually had to turn down work in one of those countries in the last year because of that um, assessment that we've made. Um, of the situation in those countries. So yeah, there, there are some times where we, we don't really care, but um, for the most part, we do have, we, we do try, try to make conscious decisions about the places we go to. Mm -hmm. This is almost an expansion on a political question. And 
what you said there is obviously you've turned down work do you believe that we as travelers because we have platforms and audiences that we should be very vocal in saying that we agree or don't agree with certain places and the human rights issues or do you believe that it's it's a case-by-case basis and everyone's an individual and should make up their own mind i think everyone is an, an individual um and is free to make up their own minds we we, for example, we, you know, we, we can't say, don't travel to Venezuela, you know, because um, of this or that situation there. We, we, we're not in a position to say that. But, um, you know, personally, would we travel to Venezuela? We might not because, you know, we'd probably have concerns about, you know, the political situation in the country and not wanting to be seen to be contributing um, to um, a, a narrative that, is not very positive at the moment. So I think we, we try not to be judge and jury when it comes to making these decisions for the audience. We let the audience make up their minds. And so we would not go to places um, basically on our, to, to satisfy our own personal principles. Mm-hmm. Mm. Can I comment on that? Yeah. Oh, um, I, I, I think uh, I take a, di- a slightly different position than Omo Yolanda on this one uh, because I think a lot of travel bloggers and journalists are just hypocrites. And, you know, and, and, and it's gotten to a point where we're afraid to call each other out on it. And it's a lot of bullshit. You know, part of my language is ridiculous. You know, you, you have people who will say, uh, boycott Myanmar because of the Rohingya crisis, but they don't say a damn thing about black people being killed in the streets in the United States. Mm. So I'm like, yeah. okay, in one breath, you're talking about, you know, a, a Southeast Asian country that you've never actually been to, but you're going to do a campaign about visit Georgia, visit, visit Mississippi, visit Louisiana. What are you talking about? Like, I get frustrated. Now, if that's not the narrative that you push as a, as a brand, as an individual, okay, cool. I'm okay with people who decide to, um, to, keep, to keep this positive brand, as they like to call it. I'm okay with that. But don't be a hypocrite. I, that, that's what always bothers me about this. Uh, only in regards to like, you know, skin color. And I only bring this up because of what's going on in the past few months, you know, with the whole Black Lives Matter things. You know, you have all these travel journalists, people pretending that this is new, like they didn't know. I'm like, we've been saying this for years. You have three men right here who've all been creating content and all of us have spoken on race before. So for them to say that they don't hear or see it, it's ridiculous, you know, and it's frustrating because uh, this is the exact reason I haven't said a lot about what's going on um, with the the protests is because a lot of travel bloggers and journalists, a lot of people in our community are being very hypocritical about this. So, you know, for me, when I travel, I don't necessarily uh, look at the political landscape in regards to my skin color. I look at what they're doing as an American. Like, like what's going on and like for example i wanted to go to pakistan but then things got really crazy in pakistan because of the united states government at the time so i was like well i can't do that you know and it's the same thing that's going to happen with north korea it's the same thing that's going to happen with iran i ended up having to cancel a flight to qatar because our government was banning flights so they decided to ban flights you know so you know the the impact of our nationality goes way further than the impact of our skin color in my opinion yeah yeah i agree with uh with eric and i tend not to look m- much at the political landscape 
I because you know, as you said, the, I think the the passport has a more influence on the skin color, you know. And uh, so yeah, I just check like quickly, and I don't judge people. For instance, if you decide to go to North Korea, I won't judge you. I won't tell you why do you go there. If you go to Venezuela, if you go to Russia, if you go to Turkmenistan, I won't judge you. This is your decision. You're an adult. It's up to you. If I decide to go somewhere, I just go. And when writing an article, I just said, okay, this is what happens in this country. This is what happens. This is the political situation. And then you make up your mind. You want to go? Just go. You don't want to go? Don't go. That's it. Yeah. And it was like Saudi Arabia was the last one that happened, that big yeah, uh, yeah, launcher yeah. push. I mean, these guys, they were being paid $150,000, $200,000 for Whoa. these campaigns. These are people that I know personally. And, you know, I was frustrated because they weren't necessarily being honest, especially with how much they were being paid. I'm like, look, if Saudi Arabia is making an influencer push, which they were, and they were spending a lot of money good on them. They need a rehab image. And I think more people should go to Saudi Arabia to, to see both sides of the narrative. But influencers have to be entirely transparent. If I was invited, I don't get the audience for $100,000. But if I was invited, it's going to be very clear like, hey, I'm going because Saudi Arabian government has asked me to go on a paid trip to see their country and document it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pretend. And it's easy for me to be on this side of the coin and say that. But I just, you know, Saudi Arabia is the most recent example that we saw yeah. uh, people taking a very hard line one way or the other because those those influencers got a lot of mainstream uh, criticism for that. Drawing a parallel from like being disabled, I know that certain countries really don't like disabled people, LGBTQ plus people, and so. I think because I have friends in those circles, and then again, if you um, are explaining about the person's skin color, I'm like, me as a, as a white person, I've got so much privilege. So where should I stand on these issues? Should I be more political and vocal about what I agree with and don't agree with? Or do I, as I usually do, try and educate the brands behind the scenes and see if they can improve? But I am a tiny little fish. I have a very small platform and I think sometimes they, they dismiss me because of that. And I don't try and speak for everyone, but I also am trying to be very aware that I'm going to get more privilege and more opportunities than someone. I'm getting more opportunities just because I'm white and I know that. So I find it... Um, interesting the whole discussion anyway but how how I can be a better ally to disabled people LGBT people and then obviously in this case people who are black and people of color like how could I be a better ally without trying to reign my privilege over everyone else and speak for them um, I think just be honest you know just just know that you don't know everything and and try to be better try to learn more you know, um, that's what I always say, leave the world better than you found it, you know, and, and that comes from knowing more. It was interesting when me and you met, I had never really met a disabled um, travel journalist or blogger, really, um, only um, only just from Triple Crips. Uh -huh. And we didn't have a, I, but I never met somebody who was blind. And as a photographer, when you explain to me alt text and like how the different apps describe a photo, I had to start to think about that. I was educated and I understood more. Uh -huh. And it wasn't, it wasn't 
you berating me. It wasn't you criticizing us. You just knew that we didn't know, so you let us know. And that was it. And I think that's one of the positions that we're in. When we're in a position to, to speak and be heard, I think we should. But you can't speak for everybody. Like You can't speak for every marginalized, oppressed community. But when you're asked, when you have that opportunity to say, hey, do you know any people of color? Do you know any disabled peoples? Do you know any women? Do you know any of these groups that we can reach out to? That, that helps more than anything else. But that also comes with creating a circle of people and contacts that's diverse. Everybody talks about, we need more diverse ad campaigns. We need more diverse boardrooms. No, people, we need more diverse friendships. We yeah. need more diverse circles of, of, of influence. And that comes from the individual. I always look at what am I doing? What are the people around me doing on an individual basis to address these social ills? As opposed to, oh my God, Pepsi's not diverse enough. I don't give a damn what Pepsi's doing. I care about what I'm doing, what my friends are doing, because that's where massive change come from. It comes from the individual. And I think it starts with having a, a diverse group of people around you. Yeah, agree. Uh, you know what? Last month I talked to like a, a white travel blogger, and she was like, uh, "You know what's going on? Black Lives Matter and everything. Blah blah blah." Um, I'm not sure about what I should be doing, and I told her you should be doing what you feel comfortable doing. You know, and she was like, "Yeah, but." Uh, I'm not sure. I want. I want to post articles and everything, but uh, I don't know what my followers are going to think. I'm like, who cares what your followers are going to think? If they don't like what you post, they're just going to unfollow you. You don't care. You're like, yeah, but I don't know. Maybe I'm not. You know, I'm not in a position to talk about this because I'm because I'm white. I'm. I'm. I'm I was like, if you feel like you should speak up, just speak up. That's what you should be doing. Nothing more. If you feel comfortable doing doing it, just do it. And she was like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. And she started posting stuff about, about Black Lives Matter and everything. And she had, like, positive feedback and uh, everything. I just told her, you know, some of your followers are going to say you should stick to travel, but you don't care. Mm -hmm. and she was like, okay, actually, you were right. And uh, she keeps posting stuff right now. So, yeah, ju just to echo what the, the two gentlemen have said, I, I think actions that are carried out from a place of knowledge, first of all, but more importantly, from a place of conviction, I think they carry a lot more weight than if those actions were carried out because there's pressure to just do them. I think it's important to have those, to, 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 to do things from a place of conviction because then they, they, they seem, they look more meaningful. They carry more meaning. Uh, and if, if those convictions are missing, then I would say just don't, don't even do it, you know, regardless of what, group think is saying regardless of what pressures you're getting from out from outside sources follow convictions all the time whether that's in supporting marginalized communities whether it's in deciding whether or not to visit destinations follow your convictions and just you know stand by them it's it's a dangerous position right now uh sats because you know you have a lot of people doing things out of fear and not conviction like omola said like people are posting Black Lives Matter, but they don't understand it. They post it because they see everybody else doing it, or they're afraid that people will think they're a racist. Um, you have people who don't post their true feelings and are afraid because they're gonna get called a racist if they don't agree with the overall narrative. 
um, personally, there's a lot of things happening with the protests and Black Lives Matter I do not agree with, and I'm not quiet about it. And I've been called names for it. I've been attacked for it. But I, it's, it's it, within our community. And when somebody from the outside, I can only imagine what they're dealing with as well. People are not perfect. Movements are made of people, which means movements are not perfect. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to, to step back for a minute and say, uh, let me understand this more and let me be honest about how I feel about it. Um, and, 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 and it's okay to be afraid of the social drawback. There are a lot of people who I'm not friends with anymore now because of their position on uh, politics or Black Lives Matter or, 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 or racism um, or even religion. They're just people, I'm like, okay, this, these people were good for me at one point in my life, but now they are not. So it's time for me to move on uh, as a person, as an individual. And that's okay. That's part of growth. You have, you can't be afraid of the drawback of something that's almost said that you're, you have conviction, that you have confidence in. Mm -hmm. Because obviously you all live in different parts of the world and you all come from different parts of the world. How is travel perceived in your culture and country? Well, uh, I'll jump in first. So, uh, like I said previously, I'm originally Nigerian, um, still Nigerian. <laughs> um, like you and, can change that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like, to, I like to introduce myself as Nigerian British these days. Not British Nigerian, Nigerian British, because, yeah, that comes first for me. Um, but growing up in Nigeria, obviously, um, being coming from a middle-class family, um, where you know, the most important thing was put food on the table. Um, travel wasn't a thing. It just was not a thing for us. We, we traveled by listening to radio shows. We traveled by watching um, TV uh, flicks from America and, and Britain. And we traveled by reading encyclopedias. And, and so I'll say that tra travel wasn't a thing for me until I actually moved to, to, to England and, and had this whole world stage opened up to me all of a sudden. Um, and that is the case for many people who grew up in my generation in Nigeria. Travel just was not a thing. Um, now, there is obviously a more upwardly mobile middle class in the country. Um, people have more disposable income. Um, Africa itself has become a lot more receptive, receptive to travel within the continent. Um, and we're starting to see people opt to travel not to the UK or to the US or Canada for holiday, to travel to places like the Gambia, to Senegal, to South Africa, to Egypt, to Kenya, locally within the continent. So that's starting to um, actually blow up in, on the continent right now. We have a lot of travel um, providers, a lot of content creators, a lot of travel media people that are taking advantage of this new wave of young people who just want to know more about their continent. And, and I, I'm, I'm excited to see where this is going. In fact, the other day, I, I got an email from a, a group in, in, um, in Kenya who do um, boat cruises um, in, that, in that part of, of Africa. And I'm thinking, wow, I would love to try, try this one of these days. They have a whole club of people who are signed up, signed up to their newsletter and you know, they're constantly pushing out information about cruises coming up. I, I find that very exciting. So culturally, as a Nigerian and as an African, I'm excited to see that travel is now becoming more um, accessible to people from that part of the world. Um, for me, as an African-American, I grew up in Cleveland in the 80s and the 90s. 
Um, I came up during the crack cocaine epidemic, you know, and for me, for a lot of us, uh, travel wasn't even close to being on the spectrum of a, a possibility. Um, the only the only exposure to travel that we really had was like uh, magazines like Natural Geographic, uh, The Watchtower from the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Reader's Digest, um, and stuff like that. You know, this is before the internet. You know, this is, this is God, man, we're old, Rob. <laughs> um, and, it, and it's like you get, the only real people who traveled within our community were soldiers. So everybody, and this is, you know, back then it was uh, your uncles, uh, great uncles who came back from Vietnam or your uncles or brothers who were going to Desert Storm. Uh, and then they would come back and tell you these amazing stories. That's why uh, Southeast Asia is my home now because, you know, my hero, who's one of my uncles, uh, was telling me stories about his time here when he was, when, when he was serving out here. So um, it really, for us, and, and growing up in the 80s and 90s, it's very different now. Um, a lot of more African-Americans have a significantly higher uh, amount of disposable income. Back then, we just didn't have that. We did not have it. Um, and we didn't become as, as ingrained in global pop culture until the 90s, until you know, hip hop really took over the world. So you, know, uh, you didn't really see anybody of color traveling that much, especially in the travel media uh, and in movies. So uh, thank goodness for the US military, I suppose. And you've got a lot of um, young black men, a lot of black women uh, traveling around the world and coming back and telling the stories which is why I think it's so important. I think why, uh, this is why I think word of mouth is so much more important than even the internet. All these Facebook groups and clubs about travel, all that stuff, not, it's, a, it's about going back to our communities and going to these middle schools and high schools and talking to these kids um, in person about what our experience was uh, because that carries so much more weight than somebody you don't know on the internet talking about it. That's so true, yeah. Yeah, and um, I didn't really grow up with a travel culture. Uh, my parents, they are from Haiti, uh, so they arrived in France in the early 80s, and uh, we didn't travel much. As a kid, I didn't travel that much. Uh, basically, when I was going on vacation, sorry, on holidays, uh, <laughs> it, <laughs> it meant uh, going to see uh, my family, my family in Haiti, uh, my family in the U.S., because I have uncle and aunts in New York City. And basically that was it, but uh, we didn't travel much and uh, we didn't have like, like, a, like we're not like a, like a rich family, you know? So it basically on holidays, I was staying either in France or just going on holidays in, in Haiti or the US. And basically that was it. I really started traveling as I grew older, around 18, 20 years old, when I started like to, to make money by myself. But before that, I wasn't much into, into travels drawing a parallel from there I think again you've got to expand your your circles in looking at how who who travels where you travel and if you should travel elsewhere because I think growing up I was lucky that um, my parents had some disposable income but we did tend to go either to visit family in the UK or the odd holiday um, maybe in Europe and my eyes have been truly opened about the fact that even in Europe, I could have done better traveling um, as a disabled person, but also as a, as a white person, because I realized looking back, I was kind of just surrounded by other white people who were able-bodied. And I think 
um, I've read a lot more over the years and it's made me want to explore the world. But I didn't know if like with you all saying you're reading books and watching films, did that make you want to travel yourselves or was it it just kind of fell into your laps that you thought that travel could be a good idea? I joined the military. Um, really, for me, it was um, I was going to be a, a lawyer, uh, entertainment lawyer. Uh, even like all the way until I was about 26, 26, 27, the plan was to be an entertainment lawyer. So I had no, no, um, no idea about becoming a travel journalist now. Um, I think back then, oh, that's a really good question because even though I, you know, I wanted to create a life where I could travel. That's what, that was a goal. It wasn't about necessarily to travel. It was about having that ability, that freedom to do so. You know, growing up in, in, in the States, you're trapped by your work a lot. Uh, a lot of times, you know, you're begging for days off. And that hasn't changed in the last 20, 30 years. Um, you know, you get, you know, I, I read a study somewhere where they were saying that Americans leave about 15 days of unused vacation time on the books. Like that they should be able to take. Um, and, and that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, if, you know, for me, it really was more about creating a lifestyle where I could travel as opposed to actually traveling at, as part of my lifestyle. Yeah, I, I caught the travel bug in my late 20s, my early 30s. Um, like, like Eric said, for a long, a long part of my 20s, um, I was just really focused on my career, uh, focused on work, um, and I think it took it took um, it took one trip to the U.S. to visit family um, that I had never met. For, I had never met this part of my family before, um, but this was some kind of you know coming of age journey <laughs> that I, I took to to, to meet them, um, and that kind of opened my eyes to the possibilities of of travel. Um, I wasn't married at the time, but even then, I felt that I could create a lifestyle for myself where travel would be a part of that lifestyle. But it wasn't until I actually met Yolanda that I really began to become a lot more confident about making plans and you know, carving out time that, you know, for travel and making travel a priority as opposed to just uh, an afterthought. Yeah, um, I caught the travel bug in my early 20s, I would say. Uh, before travel blogging, I used to have like a normal job. I was working in an office in a, for the Groupon. You know the website Groupon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love I Groupon. Yeah, <laughs> they got Groupon. Yeah, I used to work there in in Paris, France. Uh, so, but they decided to lay off like 150 people, like four years ago. Boom. And this is when I started wondering, okay, what do I want to do with my life? And uh, yeah, as Omo and Eric said, I wanted to create my, like my own lifestyle, you know, and uh, and I, I was okay. I love to travel. Uh, what can I? How can I make money traveling? You know, and this is when I found out about travel bloggers. Like, uh, <laughs> like what? What is that? People are traveling, writing about it, and they make money off it. I was like, okay, let's give it a try. And uh, yeah, basically that was it. But uh, but yeah. Like a few years ago, I was still like traveling, um, working nine to five, office job, like five weeks off a year, and that was it. Oh, thank you. And obviously, guys, 
if you think I'm being ignorant and like drawing parallels where you think mm, don't don't even draw parallels, then please let me know because I'm open to to being chastised and learning more because I I noticed that my my um my life experiences aren't your life experiences and vice versa but i also don't want to sit here completely silent the whole time but if you do think i'm just talking out my ass just let me know <laughs> <laughs> no okay um, um do your family worry for you when you travel because you're black? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing is, whenever I go somewhere, whatever country, they keep asking me, how are they over there? Do they like black people? <laughs> you know, are they racist? Uh, is it safe for you? You know, basically, I mean, it's, it's normal. I, know, I cannot blame them, you know, that that's just the way it is. But uh, and you, even my friends, when, when I come back from, from a trip, I mean, my, my black friends, they, they, they're asking me, uh, how was it? Meaning, how, how racist are they, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, 97% of the time, like, everything is fine. Everything is fine. There's no problem. I'm just different physically. But uh, people, people are just nice and welcoming. And, and that's it. I'm no different than, like, my white friend who's also traveling, you know? But yeah, 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 yeah. My mom too, she was worried a lot. So she was like, okay, but you know, keep safe, you know, pay, pay attention to everything, to your surroundings and everything. And I'm like, okay, everything will be fine, no worries. And that's it, but yeah, 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 they worry about me. I think in, in, in my case, um, my, I guess my mom worries about everything, not just the color of my skin. <laughs> She's a typical Nigerian mother who worries about every single thing because she watches way too much news. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> every time she watches the news and she hears, oh, so, so, such and such happened in this country, she calls me up and, and, and goes, oh, I hope you people are not going to that country. I hope you people are going to stay safe. Don't go to where there's trouble, blah, 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 blah. So it's more about just general worries about the world in general as opposed to just uh, specifically worrying about um, me being treated differently because I'm black um, those concerns haven't happened um, I haven't haven't seen those concerns for my family and obviously on, on Yolanda's side um, her family um, being African-American have traveled extensively um, within the US um, and North America uh, and are very familiar with some of the risks around traveling you know, as people of color, so um, they don't they don't worry. I think it's just part of life for us, really. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, for me, I've always kind of been a loner. I'm the oldest of ten children, so I always kind of moved on my own anyway. And uh, I was in the military for ten and a half years, so my family uh, they're just used to me always being gone in some foreign country. You know, and, and I don't think I've ever even had a question uh, about you know, racism abroad. Uh, I think the closest thing is my sister, my little sister asking me um, about something about uh, racism in Southeast Asia. Um, but yeah, I, th I think it goes back, my family just knows I'm gonna be okay either way. I'm just, I'm just built differently than most people, I guess. Um, my grandmother thinks all of Asia is China. That's one, that, that's one thing, so. <laughs> Yeah, you still in China, Grandma? I haven't been in China in like six years. 
everything in South America is Mexico to her. So <laughs> uh, I, I, I have a lot of conversations about uh, geography with my grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. I love it when families are just so quirky. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know we kind of touched on this at the beginning, but do any of you have any specific positive moments that stand out to you traveling the world as a black man? Whew, I could write a book. My goodness. Uh, I mean, a, a lot. If I'm being honest, every single day i just have amazing experiences you know i live in bangkok i've lived in bangkok um for five years and you know and, and it's funny because i can't say that this is because i'm black you know and that's the thing about conversations like this it's like people are just nice around the world people are kind and welcoming and compassionate and empathetic people are just nice um, and I don't think it has necessarily that much to do with me being a black man. Um, I, I live in a small, I, I used to live in a small neighborhood in Bangkok where there was no other Farangs, no other foreigners. And I would go to the same lady to get my laundry done and a different lady to have lunch. And there came a point where the lady who was doing my laundry would not allow me to leave my laundry until I spoke to her in Thai. Wow. And then the lunch ladies did the exact same thing until I learned Thai. And she taught, and not only did they want me to speak Thai, they taught me Thai and they wow. corrected me. So, you know, experiences like that, when, when you become embedded in local communities is different. Um, and, this, and this is a pushback that I have a lot of um, people of color who travel the world, go to some place for a little bit of time and then say it's racist. They make broad generalizations. Um, uh, about a place being racist. And I'm, I'm especially defensive of Asia because I've lived in Asia so long. And too often we get caught in the tourism bubble. A tourist bubble can be very racist. It can be very ableist. It can be very uh, misogynistic. A tourist bubble can be. Once you leave that bubble, you're gonna truly find out what that community is like, what that country is like, that, that city, what the culture is. When you're by yourself and, and, and you have to interact with local people and they have to interact with you, you're going to quickly learn what's going on there. And for me personally, my experience has been nothing short of just amazing. And it really, as an African-American man, it's rekindled my passion for humanity. Growing up in America, where you're constantly on guard, not only uh, of white folks like there's this narrative that you know the white people and and police are consistently the biggest threat to black men in america it is not the biggest threat to black men in america black men are the biggest threat to black men in america that's it, it it's not only my personal opinion but that's statistically the truth uh and, and, and there are several reasons for that but the reality is the reality and when you leave those communities, that environment, and you have an opportunity to interact with people of different colors who don't speak English, who show you the compassion and empathy and love of humanity, it's just life-changing. It really, truly is. So my experience has been just nothing short of amazing. Wow. Yeah, a lot of positive things when traveling, you know. So there was this woman who wanted me to marry her daughter. There was this... <laughs> 
there was this guy in Montenegro. He was like at the market. He was like, "You don't pay your groceries." I was like, "Why not?" He said, "You're my brother. I love oh. black brother." <laughs> really? Said, no, no, no. Let me pay you. And stuff, stuff like that all day, every day. You know, in I think it was in Tajikistan. I was in a hostel, and the manager was treating me a lot better than all the other ones. I was the only black person. She was like, "But I love you." <laughs> really? Said, yeah, I love you. So yeah, positive things mostly. Positive things. Really positive things. Yeah, I have nothing more to add to what the guys have said. It's it's really the same for me. Um, I've, I've, I've seen the best of human nature across the world while traveling. And I don't think it has had anything to do with the color of my skin. It's just people being, you know, intrinsically good um, and wanting to look out for, you know, their fellow human being. So, yeah, that's been my experience as well especially in places with a reputation for being racist. I find that they go over, over, like overly helpful, you know, in places like Germany, I experienced it, I experienced it in Russia, uh, in Turkey, in Argentina, where people like, unfortunately, those countries have uh, deep histories of bigotry uh, attached to them. And they've gone out of their way to ensure that we're okay, we're taken care of, and we're <coughs> That's been my experience in places like that as well. See, I haven't traveled as, as extensively as you guys, um, just just because I haven't had the opportunities as of yet. But I, I'm exactly like you, wherever I've been, even on my own doorstep, that um, where I live is so multicultural. And like, even if the person isn't speaking English and I don't speak whatever language they speak, we've managed to communicate. and. I, and I always say this phrase, and it's kind of my cliche, but going blind has opened my eyes to the beauty of this world because I get to see the beauty of humanity every single day. That when I um, was in a wheelchair, I was offered help. I did get stairs and things like that, but I think maybe, maybe because I'm petite and maybe because I'm female, people generally, like, they just look out for you. And I, yeah, I've... I've experienced nothing but kindness wherever I've traveled, whether that's been in the UK or abroad. And yeah, it's really nice to hear that it's been so positive for you, especially because everything that's going on right now, which doesn't take away from that, but it's good to hear positive stories because I think the media um, infantilize the negativity because that's what gets the clicks. That's what gets the views. Yeah, and yeah, it's, yeah, it's just really great that you guys have had positive experiences. Yeah. Are there any, uh, points or kind of tips that you would give, um, other black males traveling the world who may be slightly worried or just cautious about traveling the world as a black man? I, I would say just, um, go approach travel and approach the world with an open mind that there are more people who are good than there are people who are not. Um, just like you said, um, the, the media creates an impression that there is a lot more evil than there is good out there. But from our experiences, we've, you know, we've, we've, I think we've all said the same thing that, you know, overwhelmingly our, our experiences of traveling as people of, as black men in, in, in these countries has been mostly positive. So the mindset I think has to start from a place of, there are more people who are good than there are people who are not. Obviously there are going to be shocks along the way, you know, 
Rubens and I have experienced being detained at airports, so having to go through immigration, extra immigration checks, simply because, you know, we're black men or we carry different passports. Um, I, you know, there have been cases where I have been treated differently in hotels um, and in restaurants um, compared to uh, other clients in, in those places, clearly because I, was, I, was, I looked very different. So those things will happen, but overwhelmingly there is a lot more good than there is not out there. And I think that's the most important thing to, to, to go with when approaching travel as a black man. Um, I think, oh, oh, go ahead, Robert. Yeah, I just, I just want to say, you know, no matter where you go, either alone with your friend, with your soulmate, or with your family, everything will generally go well if you respect people and you just if you adapt to the local culture, and if you're at least a bit aware of what's going on in the in the country. Uh, basically, you have to keep an open mind. You have to be respectful, uh, know the customs, know the culture, and everything will be fine. And I always say, um, you know, when you travel, you have to really carry, I mean, really only two things you need, uh, empathy and a smile. You know, empathy will help you uh, understand or, or, or at least put you in, in the mindset to understand the perspective of others and, and how they might see you and how you might see them and being uh, open to the fact that you likely don't know as much as you should about the place that you're going. Um, and, and a smile is universal language. Uh, it, it, no matter what happens, if you're smiling, people tend to look out for you or they excuse your ignorance. Um, and, 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 and it usually it's infectious. Uh, it, the positivity of a smile is infectious. So uh, carry empathy and a smile and you're going to be just fine. Oh, brilliant. I love that. And I, I think that's so true, actually, because being around people that are the same as me for practically my entire life and then meeting people from different cultures when I've traveled, I, you know, I put my hands up, I'll say I only know a few words or I, I, I can't really pronounce things properly. And but the second that they see me trying and the fact that they're smiling and I'm smiling, it really does help. Like it comes from a place of sincerity rather than, yes, I guess it could be still seen as ignorance, but it comes from a place where you, you, they think you're trying and they know you're trying. And, mm -hmm. you know, you're not just seen as, I guess, like a lazy tourist that can't be bothered. And so, yeah, I find that really interesting. Yeah, we have a reputation for, uh, as Westerners of being just blatantly ignorant and disrespectful and selfish. And when we humble ourselves, at least for a little while, they understand, like, okay, everybody's not like that. And people love their history and their culture. They love to teach you about what they're proud of in their culture. So and I think that's a universal human characteristic that really bridges so many different gaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, we touched on... Um a kind of privilege and, and allyship earlier um, and Omo I will link your amazing piece below as well because I think that's fantastic um, but how can people white people especially but like people around the world be good allies to um, black people when they travel just be a good person <laughs> I mean it's <laughs> not like like this whole this whole idea of uh, this this perfect ally or this uh, this allyship checklist I find just ridiculous because it, it 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 supposes that there's an authority 
that 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 has that sets the standard of what a good ally is. You know, like you know, these people who are presenting themselves as the mouthpiece of all black people, it, it, it's ridiculous. But when you step away from that, and and again, I only say ridiculous in in my personal opinion. I, I understand the need for it, but when you step back and you advocate for people to just be good people, to, to, to be empathetic again, part of the reason we're seeing a, 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 a surge, a resurgence or a push of this, this hatred and this anger is we're, we're inundated with it constantly, is what we consume constantly. No matter how positive you are, you, it, it wears you down. It, wor it works on you. But if you're constantly trying to just be a better version of you, it's going to open you up to so many different things, like so many different opportunities. I remember uh, Romans did a piece about Bangkok, and my instincts were to tear him up about it because I hated it so much. And I think I commented, I was like, bro, next time you come, and, th and this is, I think this is what happened. Instead of making fun of Romans for his piece, uh, which I just I just totally disagree with it because I live here. I've lived here so long. I reached out and I think I told you um, next time you come to Bangkok, let me know and I'm going to show you Bangkok. Yeah, that's what you told me. Yeah, yeah. And 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 that that's because I realized that in my growth or my pursuit of trying to be a better person, I tend to be hypercritical, and that's one of my character flaws. I'm very and, and I'm very um, straight to the point. I don't know how to be PC about my criticism yet. So I said, okay, how can I um, get, help Robbins have a better experience here? Because that's the only reason that I care so much. So if more people say, hey, I want to be a better person, and they hear, hey, I'm experiencing racism, I'm experiencing ableism, I'm, I'm experiencing misogyny, sexual harassment, as a good person, I have to ask myself, what can I do to help this individual human? So I think what we all should do, black people, white people, uh, disabled peoples, whatever, at the foundation, we should try to be a better person. And that starts with learning how to listen, to understand instead of listening to respond. Mm -hmm. I, I'll definitely build on, um, on, on that point about um, just being a good person. I think it's, it's the fundamental thing you know, regardless of, of whether there's a checklist or no checklist, that's, that's the most important thing. However, I, I would like to just go just one step uh, forward on that um, foundation. Um, I think it's important to be situationally aware about the fact that people who don't look like you might experience the world differently. In the article you wrote, you, you referred to Sassy, I, I wrote about um, an experience I had, <clears throat> excuse me, traveling in, into uh, a country where I, I was the only black male in a group of, of journalists, the rest of whom were white British women. Um, going through immigration, I got stopped um, and the rest of the group just carried on. Um, you know, they went, went off to, to meet the, 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 the driver who was supposed to pick us up. And while I was there answering questions about who I was, where even though I was carrying the same passport as these other people, I was left alone. Um, no one came back to look for me. No one came back to ask what was happening or why I was, why I was being delayed. Now, it's easy to say, as a good person, you should have come back. But there's also the case of not actually knowing 
that mm -hmm. as a black man, I could be treated differently than they were. So there's that element of knowledge that I think is very important. And that's what I call situational awareness. I think that knowledge then leads to empathy, that knowledge leads to advocacy, that knowledge leads to just looking out for other people who do not look like you. So that's pretty much how I'd like to just sort of wind that, um, those two thoughts together about being good, but also having the knowledge that people might be treated differently. Good point, good point. Yeah, I think people should just show empathy. Uh, for instance, if a black person talks about their oppression, what they're going through, uh, just have to listen. Don't dismiss their ideas. Uh, don't talk about your own issues. We all have our, our, our problems. And uh, please don't tell us we're seeing evil all around. Don't tell us we think everything is bad. Don't minimize what, what we're going through uh, because it hurts, really. Uh, and just as, as uh, Eric said, listen to to listen not to respond how do you say it <laughs> but, to yeah just to understand yeah listen to understand and not to respond i think that's the most important thing and i've definitely been guilty of that in the past because i'm a bit like eric i'm not very pc and if i agree or disagree i'm automatically wanting to share my opinion and i've learned over the last few years that I don't have to have a vo I don't have to vocalize a point every time just because I have one. But what I've learned is by listening that I probably learn a lot more and a lot faster than just trying to put my two cents in because I want to be part of the conversation. So yeah, that's that's a really beautifully illustrated point there. Um, Omo, going back to um, without kind of explaining the entire article um, and because. Ruben's picked up on it about if someone's sharing their oppression, don't dismiss it, actually listen. If you could turn back time, how would you have wanted someone to support you? Would you have wanted them without, obviously understanding that it's situational awareness of what you've already touched on, but how would you have wanted someone to support you in, in that moment? Um, and it would have been helpful if someone in the group had come back to just ask what was going on. Um, and you know, when that didn't happen, um, and I, I then brought up the, top, the, the topic and explained what had happened. Uh, it would probably have been helpful in that situation if we'd had a conversation about it. You know, uh, people had expressed some level of interest in wanting to know more about the situation so that if it ever happened again to someone else, they could be better informed um, and in, in, in a position to act differently and be a better ally. But I think that lack of interest was probably what I found the most, um, the most challenging from that situation, the lack of interest and in even wanting to know how to deal with such situations in the future. I do find it really bizarre that you were literally left behind by the group, but no one came to investigate. And, and then when you shared the, the story that no one, as you said, felt interested or or showed any interest because with, without trying to, you know, make it a sore spot for you and, and, and rake it up and make you feel more uncomfortable about the injustices that you faced, I would also be the first person to ask, what could I have done better and how can I support you so that this doesn't happen again in the future? And it makes me really sad. Again, you know, I'm not speaking for the entire white community, but it does make me sad that everybody in that group was white and not one person even like took you aside if they didn't want to say verbally in the group 
I'm really sorry for your experiences. I'm sorry I didn't support you. Um, I'll do better next time. Like, would that have helped you? Or do you feel that's just lip service? Well, again, conviction. Is, I, I come back to that point I mentioned earlier, earlier, earlier on about conviction. If something is done from a place of conviction, it, <coughs> it, it carries more weight and it's more meaningful. Um, if someone had just simply shown a level of interest that allowed me to educate them about how it, what it looks like traveling as a black man, I think I would have felt like I had improved someone else's knowledge um, about that type of situation. But, um, you know, that lack of interest completely just sort of killed that learning opportunity. Um, as a black man, I'm not going around waving my flag of oppression and asking people to come, you know, and, and, and pity me. I'm not looking for pity. I'm not looking for um, um, just, you know, just rise to my defense simply because I'm, I'm waving the flag of, of, of being a black man. Um, I want people to be curious about my story, about my circumstances. Um, I want to know more about what it means to support people like me, you know, in situations like that. So I, I think for me, the most important thing take away from that would have been a learning opportunity and an opportunity to educate people about my, my particular experience would have been the, the, the most positive outcome from that situation for me. Yeah. Ruben and um, Eric, have, have either of you been in those situations before as well and felt the same way? Uh, yeah, in, in, uh, yeah. I, I won't name the country, but yeah, it happened. Like I was on a trip with a few bloggers and uh, they went through immigration pretty easily. And then there was a customs, you know, just before leaving the airport. Mm -hmm. And there was this guy looking at me like, 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 hey, you come over here. Like he came over, he was like, okay, where are you from? I said, I'm from France, your passport, please. He, here it is, I handed, I handed him the passport. And then he was like, what's in your bag? I said, nothing, you know, I'm just here to promote your country because uh, I'm working right now. <laughs> and he was like, um, okay, um, you came here by yourself? I said, no, we're a group of uh, like a few bloggers. And he was like, where are they? And just at this moment, there was this white, white blogger who was passing by ready to leave the airport. And I was like, I'm with her. <laughs> so he looked at her, he stared at me, he looked at her again, then stared at me like surprisingly, and then he handed me my passport and I said, okay, you can go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I left. Yeah, 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 that was it, yeah. Yeah, well, it, it just happened to me in uh, India with the Ivanos, when I was with Ivanos' trip to India. Oh yeah, Ivanos, yeah, I remember this one. Yeah, I was on that trip and uh, it took almost an hour for them to get, let me through. Um, literally, it, it was like first, first they were asking me all these questions, and then their fingerprint machine broke, um, and the guy was saying it was something about uh, my fingerprints weren't weren't coming up, and then they found out I was a journalist, and and which is why I never say the J word when I go through immigration. <laughs> like, it, it, it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, you keep um, doing that. <laughs> Yeah, and this was right when everything was happening with the uh, the the in uh, in the north and Kathmandu, all that stuff was happening. So it was like, oh no! So um, yeah, it happened to me there. 
and shortly before that, it happened to me also in Madan, Indonesia, um, where I went through and they thought I was smuggling drugs. And, oh. you know, for me, I tend to just be a positive cat and I like to make everything like as best I can. And I ended up uh, joking with the immigration guy, um, the chief immigration guy about it, um, who was completely honest with me. Um, but I don't like, I, I, I'm weird like this. When I'm racially profiled, I want to know I'm being racially profiled. Like when somebody, I don't like this whole, like, you can't say anything about it. I'm like, look, is it because I'm black? And he was like, well, yes, it was because you're black. Um, because they had had in the past year, uh, a lot of Africans with uh, fake American passports, one-way tickets coming to smuggle drugs. That's mm -hmm. what the explanation was given to me. And I am an African-American man with a one-way ticket, only staying for two days, going through Madan. So it made sense. And then I showed him my Instagram. And he was like, oh, okay, you know, let's take a selfie. <laughs> it was great. But, you know, it's a, it's, it's, that's the other side of that coin, right? Um, I think a lot of people forget, unfortunately, and I, will, I probably will get in trouble for talking about this, is that there are issues with illegal immigration of people of color in a lot of parts of the world. There are a lot of people who look like us who are doing things they should not be doing. Um, especially in places like Southeast Asia, where it's so easy for you to get in and live, live quite comfortably. So, you know, that's something we have to consider. It's never okay. Uh, but sometimes you got to just be ready for it. You just got to know what's probably going to happen to you. It's like, look, eventually if you travel enough as a, as a man of color. I'm not sure about the women's experience, but as a man of color, yeah, you're going to get some extra questions here and there at immigrations. Thank you for educating me. I think because I obviously read all your blogs and follow you and stuff and you have spoken about this. I feel like I personally have had my eyes open to your experiences, but I'm so grateful for all three of you coming on the podcast today to share these experiences. I feel like I've asked all the questions I wanted to ask. Uh, do you feel like there's any topics of discussion I haven't gotten to that you think, hang on, she hasn't brought that up? this is important one one thing that i will caution you to um and anybody who's listening to this who's looking to have conversations like this um don't try to extract um um negativity where where, where it doesn't have to be found you know you know you, when you get three black men who have all extensive i would say we're all over you know 20 plus years of travel experience amongst all of us you know probably most countries on the planet earth we've all covered for the most part um you know when we're all you know relatively positive and straightforward with how we view things this is the common narrative you know we all three are from very different backgrounds from very different places in the world living very different lives and, and we're all coming to the very same conclusions so um you know i caution people um similar to my earlier experience that when people of color tell you their experience, listen to that experience, whether it be a positive or negative, and, and don't insert your own negative, your own narrative, even inadvertently, because I find this a lot with white allies, as they call themselves, um, that they they feel that we, we need their help. <laughs> like, 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 please let me help you somehow. It's like, no, we, I'm good. I don't, I don't need your help. I'm, I'm okay. I can take care of this myself. 
So, um, you know, that's why I caution a lot of people who want to be allies to the cause. Just step back sometimes, listen, uh, and, and that's just enough sometimes. Just listen to us talk. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like I, I'm, I'm so grateful that, you know, all three of you have come on and, and given your time, especially. But I, I kind of, <laughs> I want to put my two cents in here and say that I'm not jumping on the BLM bandwagon. I'm not, I, and I don't agree with people just because your your friends are black, that you should then ask them to then be on your flipping um, platforms to share their narratives because you know unless unless there's actually a real reason for it and you're going to pay them the big bucks they don't des you don't deserve their time and so i did feel very cautious reaching out to all of you um and asking especially because um unfortunately right now this podcast isn't making any money so when it does make money i'll definitely be sending it your way but it's the fact that i i believe that creators deserve their their time but they also deserve to be paid for it but it's my thing has always been i want to educate myself but i don't know if you guys remember oh no i don't think even you and yolanda are part of it and i still want you to be is um last year i think it was where was it oh wtm or something i went round and i was asking all my travel buddies about what travel meant to them and i think eric we didn't catch up so you ended up doing it via film and sending it across but it's mm -hmm. like my my thing is i want to educate myself but also give a wider perspective because my narrative especially being white is is the narrative that everyone seems to know and i don't think that's fair but it doesn't mean that i can't share my friends but i hope you all know that it's i came to you as friends rather than i'm trying to use you as some sort of guise to make myself look like Look at me. I'm supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. I don't think any of us think that. Honestly, yeah. um, the reason I agree to this and, and and I don't and exactly what you said is the reason I haven't done a lot of these things in the past couple months is because I find, again, people are hypocrites. Like all of a sudden uh, you want to trot out your black friend showing how woke you are. Um, but one thing about you, Sassy, is you've always been down. You 100% always been like for the culture ever since the day I met you. So like if you, like I told you before when you asked me to do the, uh, the video thing that we couldn't keep up with, if you ever need me to speak or be part of any conversation about diversity or, or inclusion, I'm 100% down because you've more than proven that you're really about this life, for real. Thank you. Yeah, the, 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 there was nothing performative about this for me. I think it, it, you've taken the time Sass, to build relationships um, over the years. Um, just like Eric said before, people need to make the effort to widen their circles, their friendship circles. Um, and that's what you've done. So this all comes from an authentic place for me. And um, I'm happy to be a part of, of this podcast. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Sass, because, you know, you're always listening. You're... You're smart. You're open-minded, and yeah, it, yeah. I mean, you're you're being authentic, basically. That's it. Thank you. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that, and I'm I'm grateful that you all see it that way. Um, right. So, rounding off. Um, obviously, you guys all introduced yourselves, and I will be putting all your links, social medias, websites, and stuff, um, and the book coming up. Uh, in the show notes. Oh, well, I am Eric Prince, uh, Minority Nomad at Minority Nomad 
uh, across all social media channels, uh, mainly Instagram. Uh, so if you ever want to reach out, ever want to chat, catch up, um, Instagram is the best place to find me. Uh, other than that, you can find me on YouTube and Facebook. Um, so this is Omar thanking SAS for this opportunity. Um, we have a, an article on the blog titled, So You Want to Be an Ally, which carries on the conversation um, in that article. So please feel free to check it out. It's heydipyourtoesin.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at dipyourtoesin. Yep, so it's Rubens. Thanks again, SAS, for having us. And uh, you can find me on uh, Been Around the Globe. So blog, my blog is Been Around the Globe, Facebook, Been Around the Globe, Instagram, Been Around the Globe. And uh, yeah, as I said, I have a book coming out in September. So get ready. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Purple Elephant. What it's like traveling the world as a black man with me, your host, Sassy Wyatt, and our guests for today, Eric, Omo, and Rubens. These men are wonderful human beings and I'm very lucky to call them my friends. And if you aren't already, make sure to check out the show notes for all the bits we talked about, including how to find them out in the world. Here's hoping this episode helped you to become a better ally and of course, to become a better human being.